Section 20 of Tish, Chronicle of Her Excursions and Escapades, by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 6 I am, Mr. MacDonald said, as the cigarette steamed, the son of poor but honest parents. All my life I have been obliged to labour. You may say that my English is surprisingly pure under such conditions. As a matter of fact, I educated myself at night, using a lantern in the top of my father's stable. I thought you said he was poor, Hutchins put in nastily. How did he have a stable? He kept a livery stable. Any points that are not clear I will explain afterward. Once the thread of narrative is broken, it is difficult to resume, Miss Hutchins. Near us in a large house lived the lady of my heart. The pink tam girl, said Aggie. I begin to understand. But, he added, near us also lived a red-headed boy. She liked him very much, and even in the long-ago days I was fiercely jealous of him. It may surprise you to know that in those days I longed, fairly longed for red hair and a red moustache. I hate to interrupt, said Hutchins, but did he have a moustache as a boy? He ignored her. We three grew up together. The girl is beautiful, you've probably noticed that, and amiable. The one thing I admire in a young woman is amiability. It would not, for instance, have occurred to her to isolate an entire party on the bosom of a northern and treacherous river out of pure temper. To think, said Aggie softly, that she is just over there by the campfire. Don't you suppose, if she loves you, she senses your nearness? That's it exactly, he replied in a gloomy voice, if she loves me. But does she? In other words, has she come up the river to meet me or to meet my rival? She knows we are here. Both of us have written her. The presence of one or the other of us is the real reason for this excursion of hers. But again, the question is, which? Here the match he was holding under the cigarette burned his fingers, and he flung it overboard with a violent gesture. The detective, of course, said Tish. I knew it from the beginning of your story. The detective, he assented. You see, his very profession attracts. There's an element of romance in it. I myself have kept on with my father and now run the, uh, livery stable. My business is a handicap from a romantic point of view. I'm aware, Mr. MacDonald went on, that it is not customary to speak so frankly of affairs of this sort, but I have two reasons. It hurts me to rest under unjust suspicion. I am no spy, ladies. And the second reason is even stronger. Consider my desperate position. In the morning my rival will see her. He will paddle his canoe to the great rock below your camp and sing his love song from the water. In the morning I shall sit here helpless, ill possibly, and see all that I value in life slip out of my grasp, and all through no fault of my own. Things are so evenly balanced, so little will shift the weight of her favour, that frankly the first one to reach her will get her. I confess I was thrilled, and even Tish was touched, but she covered her emotion with hard common sense. 
"'What's her name?' she demanded. "'Considering my frankness, I must withhold that. "'Why not simply refer to her as the Pink tam shanter "'or, better still and more briefly, the PTS? "'That may stand for Pink tam shanter "'or the person that smiles. "'She smiles a great deal, or, or almost anything.' It also stands, said Hutchins with a sniff, for pretty tall story. Tish considered her scepticism unworthy in one so young and told her so, on which she relapsed into a sulky silence. In view of what we knew, the bonfire at our camp and the small figure across the river took on a new significance. As Aggie said, to think of the red-haired man sleeping calmly while his lady-love was so near, and his rival, so to speak, hors de combat. Shortly after finishing his story, Mr. MacDonald went to the stern of the boat and lifted the anchor rope. It is possible, he said, that the current will carry us to my island with a little judicious management. Even though we miss it, we'll hardly be worse off than we are. It was surprising we had not thought of it before, for the plan succeeded admirably. By moving a few feet at a time, and then anchoring, we made slow but safe progress, and at last touched shore. We got out, and Mr. MacDonald built a large fire, near which we put Aggie to steam. His supper, which he had not had time to eat, he generously divided, and we heated the tea. Hutchins, however, refused to eat. Warmth and food restored Tish's mind to its usual keenness. I recall now the admiration in Mr. MacDonald's eyes when she suddenly put down the sandwich she was eating and exclaimed, The flags, of course! He told her to watch for a red flag as she came up the river. So when the party saw ours, they landed. Perhaps they still think it is his camp and that he is away overnight. That's it, exactly, he said. Think of the poor wretch's excitement when he saw your flag. Still, on looking back, it seems curious that we overlooked the way the red-headed man had followed Hutchins about. True, men are polygamous animals, Tish says, and are quite capable of following one woman about while they are sincerely in love with somebody else. But, when you think of it, the detective had apparently followed Hutchins from the start and had gone into the wilderness to be near her with only a suitcase and a Macintosh coat, which looked like a mad infatuation. Tish says she thought of this at the time and that, from what she had seen of the PTS, Hutchins was much prettier. But she says she decided that men often love one quality in one girl and another in another, that he probably loved Hutchins's beauty and the amiability of the PTS. Also, she says, she reflected that the polygamy of the Far East is probably due to this tendency in the male more than to a preponderance of women. Tish called me aside while Mr. MacDonald was gathering firewood. I'm a fool and a guilty woman, Lizzie, she said, because of an unjust suspicion, I have possibly wrecked this poor boy's life. I tried to soothe her. 
They might have been wretchedly unhappy together, Tish, I said, and anyhow, I doubt whether he is able to support a wife. There's nothing much in keeping a livery stable nowadays. There's only one thing that still puzzles me, Tish observed. Granting that the grocery order was a grocery order, what about the note? We might have followed this line of thought and saved what occurred later, but that a new idea suddenly struck Tish. She is curious in that way. Her mind works very rapidly at times, and because I cannot take her mental hurdles, so to speak, she is often impatient. Lizzie, she said suddenly, did you notice that when the anchor was lifted, we drifted directly to this island? Don't stare at me like that. Use your wits. When I failed instantly to understand, however, she turned abruptly and left me, disappearing into the shadows. For the next hour, nothing happened. Tish was not in sight, and Aggie slept by the fire. Hutchins sat with her chin cupped in her hands, and Mr. MacDonald gathered driftwood. Hutchins only spoke once. I'm awfully sorry about the canoe, Miss Lizzie, she said. It was silly and... and selfish. I don't always act like a bad child. The truth is, I'm rather upset and nervous. I hate to be thwarted. I'm sorry I can't explain any further. I was magnanimous. I'm sure until tonight you've been perfectly satisfactory, I said, but it seems extraordinary that you should dislike men the way you do. She only eyed me searchingly. It is my evening custom to prepare for the night by taking my switch off and combing and braiding my hair. So, as we seem to be settled for the night, I asked Mr. MacDonald whether the camp afforded an extra comb. He brought out a travelling case at once from the tent and opened it. Here's a comb, he said. Here's a comb, he said. I never use one. I'm sorry this is all I can supply. My eyes were glued to the case. It was an English travelling case with gold-mounted fittings. He saw me staring at it and changed colour. Nice bag, isn't it, he said. It was a gift, of course. The, the livery stable doesn't run much to this sort of thing. But the fine edge of suspicion had crept into my mind again. Tish did not return to the fire for some time. Before she came back, we were all thoroughly alarmed. The island was small, and a short search convinced us that she was not on it. We wakened Aggie and told her, and the situation was very painful. The launch was where we had left it. Mr. MacDonald looked more and more uneasy. My sane mind tells me she's perfectly safe, he said. I don't know that I've ever met a person more able to take care of herself, but it's darned odd, that's all I can say. Just as he spoke, a volley of shots sounded from up the river near our camp, two close together and then one, and somebody screamed. It was very dark. We could see lanterns flashing at our camp, and somebody was yelling hoarsely. One lantern seemed to run up and down the beach in mad excitement, and then, out of the far-off din, Aggie, whose ears are sharp, suddenly heard the splash of a canoe paddle. I shall tell Tish's story of what happened 
as she told it to Charlie Sands two weeks or so later. It is perfectly simple, she said, and it's stupid to make such a fuss over it. Don't talk to me about breaking the law. The girl came. I didn't steal her. Charlie Sands, I remember, interrupted at that moment to remind her that she had shot a hole in the detective's canoe, but this only irritated her. Certainly I did, she snapped, but it's perfectly idiotic of him to say that it took off the heel of his shoe. In that stony country, it's always easy to lose a heel. But to return to Tish's story. It occurred to me, she said, that if the launch had drifted to Mr. MacDonald's island, the canoe might have done so too. So I took a look round. I'd been pretty much worried about having called the boy a spy when he wasn't, and it worried me to think that he couldn't get away from the place. I never liked the red-haired man. He was cruel to Aggie's cat, but we've told you that. I knew that in the morning the detective would see the PTS, as we called her, and he could get over and propose before breakfast. But when I found the canoe, yes, I found it, I didn't intend to do anything more than steal the detective's boat. Is that all? said Charlie Sands sarcastically. You disappoint me, Aunt Letitia. With all the chances you had, to burn his pitiful little tent, for instance, or steal his suitcase. But on my way, Tish went on with simple dignity, it occurred to me that I could move things a step farther by taking the girl to Mr. MacDonald and letting him have his chance right away. Things went well from the start, for she was standing alone looking out over the river. It was dark, except for the starlight and I didn't know it was she. I beached the canoe and she squealed a little when I spoke to her. Just what, broke in Charlie Sands, does one say under such circumstances? Sometime I may wish to abduct a young woman and it is well to be prepared. I told her the young man she had expected was on Island Eleven and had sent me to get her. She was awfully excited she said they'd seen his signal, but nothing of him. And when they'd found a number of feminine things round, they all felt a little... Well, you can understand. She went back to get a coat, and while she was gone, I untied the canoes and pushed them out into the river. I'm thorough, and I wasn't going to have a lot of people interfering before we got things fixed. It was here, I think that Charlie Sands gave a low moan and collapsed on the sofa. Certainly, he said in a stifled voice, I believe in being thorough, and of course a few canoes more or less do not matter. Later, Tish said, I knew I'd been thoughtless about the canoes, but of course it was too late then. And when was it that you assaulted the detective? He fired first, said Tish, I never felt more peaceable in my life. It's absurd for him to say that he was watching our camp, as he had every night we'd been there. Who asked him to guard us? And the idea of his saying he thought we were Indians stealing things, and that he fired into the air. The bullets sang past me. I had hardly time to get my revolver out of my stocking. And then, asked Charlie Sands, 
And then, said Tish, we went calmly down the river to Island Eleven. We went rapidly, for at first the detective did not know I had shot a hole in his canoe, and he followed us. It stands to reason that if I'd shot his heel off, he'd have known there was a hole in the boat. Luckily, the girl was in the bottom of the canoe when she fainted, or we might have been upset. It was at this point, I believe, that Charlie Sands got his hat and opened the door. I find, he said, that I cannot stand any more at present, Aunt Tish. I shall return when I am stronger. So I shall go back to my own narrative. Really, my justification is almost complete. Anyone reading to this point will realize the injustice of the things that have been said about us. We were despairing of Tish, as I have said, when we heard the shots and then the approach of a canoe. Then Tish hailed us. Quick, somebody, she said. I have a cramp in my right leg. The canoeing position, kneeling as one must, had been always very trying for her. She frequently developed cramps, which only a hot foot bath relieved. Mr. MacDonald waded out into the water. Our beach fire illuminated the whole scene distinctly, and when he saw the PTS huddled in the canoe, he stopped as though he had been shot. How interesting, said Hutchins from the bank, in her cool voice. I remember yet Tish, stamping round on her cramped limb and smiling benevolently at all of us. The girl, however, looked startled and unhappy, and a little dizzy. Hutchins helped her to a fallen tree. Where, where is he, said the PTS. Tish stared at her. Bless the girl, she said. Did you think I meant the other one? I, what other one? Tish put her hand on Mr. MacDonald's arm. My dear girl, she said, this young man adores you. He's all that a girl ought to want in the man she loves. I have done him a grave injustice, and he has borne it nobly. Come now, let me put your hand in his and say you will marry him. Marry him, said the PTS. Why, I never saw him in my life before. We had been so occupied with this astounding scene that none of us had noticed the arrival of the detective. He limped rapidly up the bank, having lost his heel, as I have explained, and, dripping with water, confronted us. When a red-haired person is pale, he is very pale, and his teeth showed. He ignored all of us but the PTS, who turned and saw him, and went straight into his arms in the most unmaidenly fashion. By heaven, he said, I thought that elderly lunatic had taken you off and killed you. He kissed her quite frantically before all of us, and then, with one arm round her, he confronted Tish. I'm through, he said, I'm done. There isn't a salary in the world that will make me stay within gunshot of you another day. He eyed her fiercely. You are a dangerous woman, madam, he said. I'm going to bring a charge against you for abduction and assault with intent to kill. And if there's any proof needed, I'll show my canoe, full of water to the gunwale. Here he kissed the girl again. You, you know her, 
gasped Mr. MacDonald, and dropped on a tree trunk, as though he were too weak to stand. It looks like it, doesn't it? Here I happened to glance at Hutchins, and she was convulsed with mirth. Tish saw her too, and glared at her, but she seemed to get worse. Then, without the slightest warning, she walked round the campfire and kissed Mr. MacDonald solemnly on the top of his head. I give it up, she said. Somebody will have to marry you and take care of you. I'd better be the person. But why was the detective watching Hutchins, said Charlie Sands? Was it because he had heard of my Aunt Letitia's reckless nature? I am still bewildered. You remember the night we got the worms? I see. The detective was watching all of you because you stole the worms. Stole nothing, Tish snapped. That's the girl's house. She's the Miss Newcomb you read about in the papers. Now do you understand? Certainly I do. She was a fugitive from justice because the cat found dynamite in the woods. Or perhaps I'm a trifle confused. But now I have it. She had stolen a gold-mounted travelling bag and given it to MacDonald. Lucky chap. I was crazy about Hutchins myself. You might tip her the word that I'm badly off for a travelling case myself. But what about the PTS? How did she happen on the scene? She was engaged to the detective, and she was camping down the river. He had sent her word where he was. The red flag was to help her find him. Tish knows Charlie Sands, so she let him talk. Then, Mr. MacDonald was too wealthy, Charlie, she said. So when she wanted him to work and be useful, and he refused, she ran off and got a situation herself to teach him a lesson. She could drive a car, but her people heard about it, and that wretched detective was responsible for her safety. That's why he followed her about. I should like to follow her about myself, said Charlie Sands. Do you think she's unalterably decided to take MacDonald, money and all? He's still an idler. Lend me your car, Aunt Tish. There's a theory there, and who knows? He is going to work for six months before she marries him, Tish said. He seems to like to work now he has started. She rang the bell and Hannah came to the door. Hannah, said Tish calmly, call up the garage and tell MacDonald to bring the car round. Mr. Sands is going out. End of section 20